It's a great honor for me to be here at the Empire Club of Canada today, which is arguably the most famous and historically relevant speakers podium to have ever existed in Canada. It has offered its podium to such international luminaries as Winston Churchill, Ronald Reagan, Audrey Hepburn, the Dalai Lama, Indira Gandhi, and closer to home, from Pierre Trudeau to Justin Trudeau. Literally generations of our great nation's leaders, alongside with those of the world's top international diplomats, heads of state, and business and thought leaders. It is a real honor and a distinct privilege to be invited to speak to the Empire Club of Canada, which has been welcoming international diplomats, leaders in business and in science and in politics. And when they stand at that podium, they speak not only to the entire country, but they can speak to the entire world. Good, uh, good afternoon and uh, welcome to the Empire Club of Canada. Uh, my name is Sal Rabani, and it's an honor to stand before our community, both in person and virtually, uh, as chair of the Board of Directors of the Empire Club. To formally begin this afternoon, I want to acknowledge that we're gathering today on the traditional and treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit and the homelands of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We encourage everyone to learn more about the traditional territory on which you work and live. This morning, as I was going about my day, I've been doing for many years, I stopped for a cup of Tim Hortons, <laughs> a staple of our mornings and uh, so many great moments. We all have this soft spot for Tim Hortons, Tim's, and for all things that this iconic brand symbolizes for Canadians and Canada, heritage, national identity, and a sense of community. Today, we will have the privilege of hearing about all of these things, but uh, most importantly, uh, mostly, uh, it's something that I believe that we don't talk about enough. And that is the incredible growth story behind Tim Hortons. Tim's, and by extension, its parent company, RBI, Restaurant Brands International, choice to go for scale is something we don't often see in Canada. Tim's story could have easily been in one in which they didn't create one of Canada's most important, beloved, and strongest growing companies. It could have been the story of a very successful Hamilton coffee house, or of an Ontario or Atlantic Canada chain, for that matter. Yet complacency has never been part of this company's vocabulary, and ambition is well ingrained into Tim Horton's DNA. They've been proving it for more than half a century. Successive choices and smart, strategic moves brought Tim Hortons to become a Canadian icon and a global champion that went way beyond the traditional U.S. expansion and that put Canada on the map of the quick-service restaurant space. We see the same determination for growth with Restaurant Brands International. I'm personally looking forward to seeing the growth strategy of three other brands that Tim operates, or RBI operates, uh, Burger King, Popeyes, and Firehouse Subs. There are so many lessons uh, for the business community in these two business stories. Is there a recipe for growth? How does RBI manage and sustain growth across four brands in super aggressive and different international markets? What can we do in Canada to replicate and multiply Tim's growth recipe and create more global companies and champions? The answer is we need more Tim's. Just think of how much potential we could unleash in Canada 
if we had more companies with the same ambitions and the same hunger for growth. Our hope is that today's conversation inspires others not to settle for good enough. Don't stop at Hamilton, Toronto, or Mississauga. Don't settle for Ontario or Canada. Do as Tim's did. Go big, and you could be the next Canadian success story. Bit of housekeeping. We accept questions uh, from the audience. For our speakers, you can undertake to scan that QR code found on your program booklet uh, or through the through the Q&A under the video player for those of you that are online. Uh, if you do require technical assistance and you're online, please start a conversation with our team using that chat button on the right-hand side of your screen. The Empire Club of Canada is a not-for-profit organization, and we'd like to recognize our sponsors who generously support the club and make these events possible and complimentary for our online viewers to attend. Thank you to our supporting sponsors, Dairy Farmers of Canada, Ernst & Young, Aspire Bakeries, and McCarthy Tetro. Thank you also to our season sponsors, Amazon Web Services, AWS, Bruce Power, and Hydro One. I'd now like to invite our esteemed speakers to the stage. We're thrilled to have with us Axel Schwann, President of Tim Hortons Canada and the US, Duncan Fulton, Chief Corporate Officer at Restaurant Brands International, the parent company of Tim Hortons, Burger King, Popeyes, and Firehouse Subs. Our discussion will be expertly moderated by my friend John Erdokman, a senior bank anchor at BNN, Bloomberg, and correspondent anchor for CTV National News. We look forward to their insights and strategies for further growth in the quick service restaurants place Please give a warm welcome to Axel Schwann, Duncan Fulton, and John Ehrlichman. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Sal. I wanted to be a senior banker, but uh, my grades weren't good enough for that. Uh, nice to see both of you. Uh, I feel peer pressure now to say that I get my morning coffee at Tim's. Uh, which I do sometimes, there's a Tim's literally right outside our studio. And I think, uh, to Sal's point, the, uh, the growth story is an exciting one. I get, a, I get an opportunity every day to talk about businesses in Canada and abroad. And certainly this is a business that has been doing exceptionally well if you look at what's happening in the markets and within this restaurant brands organization. Uh, Duncan, we were on this stage here at Empire. By the way, it's wonderful to be back. Uh, four years ago, it was early in your journey, and actually it was around that time that you were entering into your role at Restaurant Brands through Tim Hortons. Uh, maybe we'll start, Axel, with you on, on why it is that you think that things have been, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing for everything to be going well, but within the Restaurant Brands empire right now, Tim seems to be firing on all cylinders. What's, what's going on? John, thank you. Thank you very much for this uh, uh, nice intro and uh, also Sal and the whole Empire Club. First of all, big thank you from all of us at RBI and Tim's uh, to be here today with you that you invited us to share a little bit of our stories. So if I may say thank you very much uh, for that. Um, and really to your question, so on, on Friday, we announced the earnings for RBI, and Tim's uh, was able to report that we had 10 consecutive quarters of same-store sales growth, um, which is, uh, yeah, a nice result. 
Um, but maybe this might be interesting here for the group to, to learn a little bit about um, what actually got us to this point. Uh, sure. So, because exactly like you say, John, it, it started four or five years ago, um, roughly when we listen very, very carefully, we do this every single day actually, um, when we listen very carefully to our guests. And uh, many of you here in the room will remember four or five years ago, um, actually sales, traffic, uh, things like restaurant profitability and also our brand love scores, uh, they were not going in the right direction. The media coverage in the country, um, well, the headlines that we were reading were not necessarily the ones that you would like to read about yourself sometimes, and that was just facing the, the truth. And so, um, first of all, we put together a, a really strong team. Many of the team uh, mates are here in the room uh, from, from TDL. So we put a strong team together and then got working on the feedback. Um, so I learned from my parents, uh, feedback is a gift. Um, you should always embrace uh, feedback. And we got a lot of gifts uh, for four years ago, um, uh, which, was, which started with food quality. So uh, Canadians told us, look, your, your breakfast sandwiches, this, yeah, this frozen egg thing that's good, it's not great, it's not a freshly cracked egg. The English muffin is good, but it's a little bit chewy, so uh, you need to work on that. Uh, the apple fritter, a bit more apple would be actually a nice thing to have in the apple fritter. Uh, I can sense that you are in agreement with that here. Um, and uh, yeah, the Boston cream, a little bit of Venetian cream, a little bit more of that inside would also be a nice thing. So we then straightforward went ahead and built a plan. We call it the back to basics plan and fixed all these things um, because the good news was back then, and I'm very, very um, happy to share this. And I think, I think Sal, your introduction was, was spot on. Tim's is the most loved restaurant brand here in Canada. It's actually the most Canadian brand of all brands in Canada. And um, so we looked at our brand love scores. While they were not going in the right direction, Marginally, it was still a very, very, very strong brand. And I remember the day when my team and I, when we looked at these scores, we said, well, we just learn it's purely on us. It's 100% in our court. I learned this expression from one of my teammates back then. Um, Canadians are cheering for us. Canadians are cheering for Tim Hortons. They want this brand to succeed, and it's on us to deliver. So we formed this plan, executed, and that's really what it boils down to, executing with excellence. Um, all right, the eggs, the apples, lots of work <laughs> in between. Uh, and Duncan, I think, you know, since this is a global company in restaurant brands, and, uh, and Tim's is a big part of that growth story, I think it's, if we're not there already, at some point soon, we're gonna see more international stores than, than Canadian stores. How did that communication experience, uh, getting things right at home, set you up for what people are probably curious about today, which is the road ahead in that global story as well. Look, I think if you look at the state of Burger King and Popeyes and Firehouse subs today, and you look at the plans that we've communicated for growth, they're all centered on the same principles that Axel just talked about. I mean, Tim's was almost the first in the family of companies to say, we need to get the basics really, really right. And when you look at restaurants uh, that have succeeded for decades. Uh, and there's a few good examples out there, restaurants that have created billions of dollars of value. Um, the basics are incredible quality. You have to have the best food in, in your category. You have to have consistently awesome service. And you have to always be super convenient to your guests. 
Um, and certainly what Axel kind of led at Tim's were those basics. And looking now at the other brands, everyone is kind of following the same playbook for growth. If you look at how RBI grows around the world, it's actually like a shockingly simple and awesome business model. We have these four brands uh, that we believe have the best quality in their categories. We think Popeye's chicken, hands down, best chicken in its category. The Whopper, every survey we ever do says it's a better burger than our competitors. Firehouse Subs, lesser known in Canada. Try it, best sub you've ever had. And of course, Tim's. So then we go out and we find, in 100 countries around the world, franchisees where we say, look, if you're willing to invest your money to build these restaurants, we're gonna give you a concept that has incredibly high quality food with brands that are loved, a playbook on how to execute it. Uh, you've increasingly been hearing our executive chairman and our CEO talk about the importance of cash on cash returns for franchisees. So if we can give you a model where you're getting a three or four or at most a five year payback on your investment to open new doors, deliver this quality product, you're making a great return and it's inspiring you to grow more. We're making, call it plus or minus 4% in a royalty on everything you sell. So we're a generally capital aid business when you look at it with huge growth potential and today opening a new restaurant somewhere in the world every seven hours or so. And we just announced in earnings last week, we aspire to accelerate that going into next year, which would take us down into every four or five hours or so. Uh, so it's an exciting growth model that we have. So you, you talked about the, the numbers for individual store locations and there are franchisees here as well. It just made me think there was a disclosure recently about how stores are performing. What was the transparency push there for, for a wider audience? Obviously you're having you know, private discussions with different franchisees, but what was, the, what was the benefit of putting that out there? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. And it was a very, very important decision in our system, in our company to, to publish uh, restaurant level profitability. Because at the end of the day, um, we will only be successful if our franchisees are successful and vice versa. This is a strong team effort. It only goes together. And when you have a long-term perspective, uh, which we have, we want to be here forever with, with this beautiful brand, these beautiful brands, but I'm a little bit biased. So, uh, <laughs> right. uh, um, so uh, when you have a forever mindset, then you need to talk about all the important KPIs, which is same store sales, which is important for the franchisee and franchisor because it drives the bottom line. You have to speak about traffic, uh, meaning more guests in every restaurant. And then there are other line items as well uh, that we can influence um, that will drive the bottom line of the restaurant. So uh, just to give you uh, one aspect here, so Matt Moore is in the room here as well. He's our chief operating officer for, for Tim Hortons. What he has done with his field team uh, working hand in hand with our franchisees. For example, Caroline Barham is uh, here. Um, so she is 27 years with Tim Hortons. Then we have Marwan here, 10 years in the Tim Hortons system. So our field team working hand in hand with our franchisees on every single line item. Um, that's what we sign up for um, because we need a healthy system. And that doesn't uh, end with the top line. It starts with the top line.
So I just want to come back to sort of the, the brand that is Tim Hortons as well, which is a, a brand that leans into brand Canada. I would say arguably for global companies with ties to Canada. We don't see that too often. I uh, actually had a conversation with the uh, CEO of uh, Canada Goose, Danny Reese, who also leans into brand Canada and doesn't understand why more brands don't do it. Maybe, Duncan, you can walk us through what happens when you lean into that, since you guys have been fairly aggressive in expanding around the world, some of the feedback so far, and, and, and where you think that will go in, in carrying that brand around the world. Yeah, look, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty phenomenal. When, when you look at the different brands we have, I mean, clearly Tim's in Canada is by far the leading quick service restaurant concept, most loved brand. Um, our other brands, I mean, Popeyes now uh, just overtook KFC in the United States, Canada for number two market share. Uh, and it's quickly becoming one of the most loved brands. Um, Burger King, in some markets around the world, and look, Canada, I think we have some work to do with, with the Burger King brand. Mm -hmm. um, we were just in France two weeks ago. You know, there were no Burger Kings in France nine years ago. Um, now they've just finished building 500 Burger Kings. Every single restaurant is beautiful, digital-led. Um, they're just about to hit $2 billion in sales. And they have, um, they're chasing McDonald's in market share. You go over to Spain, Burger King has bigger market share than McDonald's. So when you take a global view kind of of the brands, it's actually pretty amazing to see how you can grow um, national love for a brand starting in your home market, like where Burger King came from or Tim's came from. But to be able to then translate that to like, be the number one burger brand in all of Spain. Uh, they've been there since 1974. It's pretty cool. And um, you mentioned digital. So actually, maybe I'll come back to you because I, th I remember when, uh, we were talking to Duncan on this stage four years ago and he talked about the, the startup mentality at the company just in terms of the organizational structure and attracting young talent. Uh, but you have increasingly worked technology into the business. You said long-term is the focus, and I think sometimes sort of putting that technology spend behind that sort of speaks to that. Uh, and even when we spoke to the RBI CEO on, on Bloomberg last week, I mean, he talked about his vision for more digital. Um, so this touches you guys in a lot of different ways, but it hits the consumer in a lot of ways, just whether it's, you know, faster service, faster drive-through, whether it's you know, the, the, the opportunity to have more kiosk, whether it's through loyalty. Uh, for those who are curious about how technology is playing a role in, in the Tim's business, what, what is sort of the goal there and, and where do you th see that going? I love that question. We love technology. I think everybody in the room uh, in some shape and form probably loves technology. Um, why do we love it so much? Because when you use technology in the right way, it will improve the guest experience and also the team member experience, and ideally both at the same time. So I give you, uh, let's say, good, let's call it a bad example from our journey, and let me give you a good example from our journey. Actually, all of them are good because you also learn from your mistakes. Um, so in, what was it, 2017-ish, um, we launched our app, so at our app, our first Tim's app, really. And so the, the feature, the key feature, was mobile order and pay. Hmm. 
So 70% of our business happens in the drive-through. So now you place your order on the phone, you go into the drive-through, what's your benefit, first of all? It's not directly a big benefit because you still stand in the same line. You already placed your order, you don't have to do it at the speaker box, but you're still in the same line. Mm. So that's the first thing. Then you pull up to the, to the speaker box, the conversation changes. Yes, hi, here, I'm, I'm Axel, uh, I'm order number X. What? <laughs> So, because this is not necessarily a vocabulary that our teammates are used to in the drive-through. So, I'm just trying to make you feel this. Um, the benefit, there was not a speed of service benefit, there, uh, blah, 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 you get the point. So, we learn from that, and then fast forward, what do we have now? We have offers. First of all, we have really attractive offers that are tailored to the needs of our guests. Uh, so, you have offers that uh, give you even more attractive price points for the products you love. That's one thing. And then there's one feature, and maybe some of you have tried it already, scan and pay. Scan and pay, it's magic. What's magic about it? So when you have our app, so 30% of our sales are done with, um, yeah, with uh, digital sales. So when you uh, toggle on the scan and pay feature, what it does is two things at the same time. Number one is you scan for loyalty points, for your points, um, and then you also pay at the same time. So that means when you connect your Tim's card or when you connect your credit card, um, then you pay right away. What does this mean? It's faster in the drive-through. And uh, our industry is called QSR. The Q has a meaning, it's quick. And that's what you as our guests expect from us. We have to be fast. And a feature like this sounds so simple, it's of course more difficult to develop it, but it is relevant for our guests, it's relevant for our team members because it also reduces the time they have to work on the POS. And that's the type of things you can expect more of and that we will have fun with in the future, to use technology in a relevant way. Because you can also get carried away in technology and just do technology for the sake of technology, which is not really getting you anywhere. So really starting with what are the pain points today for our guests and our team members? Mm -hmm. And then that's our job, uh, solving these, these problems. Um, I'm just gonna pick up my phone because I'm gonna be trying to monitor some of your questions that are coming in and try to work them into the, the conversation. Um, it's, it, we're uh, fast approaching the 60th anniversary uh, for, for Tim's, which is pretty incredible as well. So we've talked a little bit about uh, getting things right at home. We've talked about some of those recipes for success. Um, Duncan, you talked a little bit about the global growth strategy, but is there, is there a way to capitalize on that 60-year anniversary at a time when we're talking about more and more of the Tim stores making their way into foreign markets going forward? Yeah, look, I mean, the Tim's, the Tim's brand is so inextricably Canadian, um, and there's a lot of markets globally that are not necessarily coffee-first markets. I think what we've demonstrated in China is the brand still works. Um, and we very much compete head to head with um, the other big coffee player in China. And in many cases, um, our product is positioned almost at parity with the competitor and, and is bought as such. So there's, a, and you often see, you know, globally, you know, Canada's favorite coffees, Canada's shop. So I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity there for sure. The, just to finish maybe the technology piece, um, it's, it's pretty wild when you have the ability to like look around the world at what 
all your different jurisdictions are doing and as you're testing with technology, we now have dozens of countries. Uh, if you can imagine this walking into a Tim Hortons or a Burger King or a Popeyes, um, that front counter you're used to going up and ordering at, you don't order there. And the menu boards you're used to looking up at, there's no menu boards. So you walk into the restaurant, instead, there's like a dozen kiosks. And you simply walk up to the kiosk, it is a choose your own adventure on the menu. It is your job then to make sure there's a very easy uh, consumer flow. But you pick your food, you can edit your food however you want. It largely eliminates misunderstandings between hold the mayo, no pickles, you literally do it yourself. Um, if you're taking out, it then gives you your order number, gives you a QR code, you scan it on your phone, and then the folks that are in the kitchen are simply expediting and giving you food. They're not taking payment, they're not taking orders. If you're eating in, uh, and, and in many countries in Europe, also in Australia and, and, and elsewhere, there's a huge eat-in audience. You've got these plastic tent cards that sit by the kiosk. And you say, I'm eating in, you grab whatever the top tent card is, whatever number's on it is 097. And it says, what table are you? 097. Then you just go sit down and you put your number on the table. There's a geolocator in it. So for the team members, they know kind of what quadrant of the restaurant you're in. And then you just sit and chat and someone brings you your food. And then we're all trained in North America. You got to order everything at once. Uh, in Paris now, they have what's called these king's tables at Burger King. It's a QR code on the table. And when you're done eating your food, you scan the QR code, and that's when you order your coffee and your ice cream. Because why would you let your coffee go cold and your ice cream melt while you're eating your food? We've trained you in North America to do that. But, but in Europe, it gives you the opportunity to add on to it. And on average, we have about 40% of people that are at those tables doing the second order at the table. On average, that's a ticket of about four euros 40. So it is a very different digital experience in other countries. And even when you think of the drive-through to Axel's point, you know, the future of being able to now, as it's more adopted, order ahead, pull through the drive-through. When you're pulling up to order, should you be doing that at a big menu board, still talking into a box that was invented 60 years ago at In-N-Out? Or do you pull up with your phone, scan a QR code, and choose your own adventure for how you order? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunities and questions about how we're succeeding internationally. When we look at the US market and the Canadian market, some, some big opportunities to evolve. And giving efficiencies to the, the team members who are there as well. So um, we got a lot of great questions already, so I'm just gonna start launching them into this conversation too. And since we're talking about the tech, tech too, uh, there was a question about the return on investment for, for Tim's rewards. So I wonder if there's, um, you know, for, for the launch of the program, anything you can share on, on how, how internally you see it, you know, how, how you're measuring the success? Absolutely. So uh, the beauty about Tim's rewards is that it drives frequency for um, our restaurants so guests coming more often. It brings in new guests uh, once you um, uh, attracted them to download the, the app. 
and then the next thing is um, usually people spend more when they use uh, these offers and use the app. So um, all of this put together um, delivers a nice return uh, for, for our owners, uh, for us. And it, there's also, you know, the element of um, there's competitive, I call it competitive activity out there. Um, there's uh, other brands also trying to steal a share of our coffee market share. And uh, it's important uh, to, to compete with that in the right way so that it's still economically very attractive. Okay. Um, there's uh, another question, Duncan, for you perhaps, about how you pick locations for, let's say, Tim's in the U.S. I think we've been sort of from Canada watching the Tim's strategy stateside for many years, and it was more just about what represents perhaps a prime location versus some of the other players out there. Um, any insight you can provide on that? So Axel's directly accountable if you okay. ask. Okay. I'm going to let Axel. I'm going to let <laughs> Axel. Sorry about that, Axel. No, no, please, that. you go ahead and then you go first and then I go. go. Um, it, it's interesting. It, it, it depends on your business model around the world. Okay. So um, in some cases, uh, I'll just speak generally. In, in some cases, if we own the property, then we have teams that are constantly looking ahead several years um, seeing where developments are going to be, seeing where, um, you know, what's a cornfield now becomes a suburban development in four years from now and doing deals with developers to make sure you've got great locations. In other countries around the world, you know, we have a master franchisee who, uh, who runs 500 restaurants. And in that case, they have their own, they have their own development team. Um, you have franchisees that bring forward uh, because they, they know their community extremely well and they know that there's a great site that's going to be there. So we actually have the full range of real estate development capabilities, all the way from saying yes to a good idea from a franchisee, uh, to being heavily involved in the site selection, to just simply letting you know, master franchisees design, you know, design their own real estate development. I think we covered it well. Okay, um, well, there's actually, um, uh, a question as well about the uh, growth for uh, grocery retail. Maybe Axel, do you want to start on that one? I guess in terms of where we see the Tim's brand, yeah, the opportunity there. Who in the room has Tim's coffee at home? Maybe. Awesome. We still have room to go, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, no, very good. So um, actually, it, it's it's a really really good question, and it started around ten years ago that we started selling coffee in supermarkets. Up to that point. Um, our restaurant owners exclusively would sell um, coffee in the restaurants, and then we made a decision to um, also start selling uh, back coffee, canned coffee in supermarkets. Fast forward, uh, we are now in all kinds of different coffee categories. So you can have whole beans, you can have ground coffee, you can have all kinds of formats, Keurig cups, etc. So we uh, we really cover all bases of coffee in supermarkets. Um, because what we see is the moment of consumption at home is very different to the moment of consumption on the road. So you don't really decide, um, uh, am I going to um, uh, uh, have my Tim's coffee now on the road or at home? You actually decide, am I going to drink coffee at home or on the road? And then you decide where you actually go. So that means um, either we compete with all the assortments in the supermarket and uh, yeah, try to uh, gain the largest market share here as well, 
or we don't. It's, it's less about um, cannibalizing the, the restaurant business. And so it's very um, incremental, that business. It grew, it grew substantially. And um, yeah, you also now have chili at home. Uh, you can purchase chili. So we have Markus Sturm here as well. Uh, he is leading that part of our, our business very successfully. So it's a beautiful business that started small 10 years ago, uh, which became an adult, if I may say. And uh, yeah, we want to make it an even stronger adult in the decades to come. Haven't had a chance yet to just talk about the state of the economy, but I think a lot of people are wondering about that too. And even, you know, any time a company reports results and, and restaurant brands was no exception. There were a lot of questions around the health of the consumer, uh, even with a steady business for Tim's, let's say here at home, uh, whether it's people deciding whether they want to buy your products in a grocery store or if they're going to drive to one of your locations or what have you right now. Any thoughts on how the economic outlook impacts the business, how the inflationary realities have uh, impacted the business? It's, it's a key question, John. It's, it's really something that we take extremely seriously, and I don't want to go too much into the time tunnel, but you all know that one of the foundational success criteria for Tim's is really good value for money. Since 1964, uh, Tim's always delivered a very good value for money equation, and that's what we embrace wholeheartedly. <coughs> And so in the, for us, generally, if the economy is booming or if the economy is softening a little bit, as long as we do our work right, delivering good quality products uh, for a very attractive price point, um, we tend to not be impacted by, um, let's say, these macro trends too much. It's really in our hands to, to offer great quality product at a fantastic price, and uh, that's how we approach Every day, really. Sounds very basic, but that's what we do. And we do a lot of testing. So Hope Bagosi, our CMO, she's also here in the room, um, and Brad, he leads our pricing team. And they do a ton of research um, all the time to see um, how, uh, yeah, what is the best price point. We don't, we don't want to take too much. And we really don't uh, because we want to keep traffic and frequency going and uh, offer great value for money. Well, it's a, it's a good segue to... Um, one area that has been of uh, great importance to you, which is having people come for lunch or later in the day. That seems to be, Wall Street seems to be very curious about that strategy and the rollout of that strategy. So I guess for frequency of visits or getting the word out on making Tim's a place that people might go afternoon and into the evening, how's that going? Yeah, that's, uh, uh, thanks for, for that question as well. So. We have 70 plus percent market share in brewed coffee in Canada, and we have single digit market share in dinner and uh, fairly a way too small market share in lunch. And um, when we maybe get together here again in 10 years or so, um, those numbers should have changed uh, um, yeah, con big time, let me put it this way. So this is really one of our big priorities to be more relevant for Canadians during lunch and dinner. Um, we just launched our loaded wraps and loaded bowls in re uh, yeah, just in the last 24 months. Um, they are off to a really good start, uh, and um, there might be something else coming next year as well. Um, Does now it I involve apples? Or? Yeah, <coughs> you give me ideas here. Okay. Everybody was very interested in apples. I'm just yeah, saying. I like that. Sorry. Um, no, hope is here. We take a note on uh, apples there. <laughs> so, uh, no, uh, jokes aside, so PM food, um, the whole PM day part and cold beverages and espresso-based beverages, they will play a key role in driving the business forward. 
Okay. The reason I asked the first question just about the economy was because we did have an audience question. Duncan, maybe more for you, which I think is sort of uh, how uh, RBI itself is thinking about the outlook, the inflationary environment. Does it influence things like acquisitions? I mean, you talked about your main four brands, um, and you're constantly fielding questions around other acquisitions, but how does the overall economic backdrop impact how you think sort of strategically globally right now? It's a great question. So we generally have, um, as I touch wood as I say this, um, very recession resilient businesses, being in the QSR sector, being in, being in the space we're in, um, our menus and our price points around the world are designed so that we do offer full price premium items and we have everyday value items and then like everyone we have discount items. And um, as uh, wallets get tighter uh, for our consumer, you know, that very often someone will decide instead of taking their family um, to a higher end sit down experience that they can get a great quality meal through our drive-through or sitting in one of our restaurants. So we're always super relevant from an, the everyday value Axel talked about, extremely important. So in that respect, um, you know, I think we're always open to what is the next big category that we could grow in. With that said, we've been extremely choosy over the years. I mean. It was an acquisition of Burger King in 2010, Tim's in 2014, Popeye's in 2017, Firehouse Subs in 2021. Um, there's usually a number of years in between these things. Um, and right now we're super focused on getting all those basics right in the four businesses that we talked about. Um, and which are, which are in, in some cases in expansion mode as is. Rapid expansion yeah. mode, I mean back to new restaurant every seven hours currently and commitment to go even faster than that. So we think we have a lot of room to grow significantly what we have. So I would say not actively looking uh, for the moment. Okay. This is a chairman who has a pizza background. People always ask him about that. That has uh, come up from time. <laughs> uh, there was a question just about franchisees. You guys, when we started the conversation, you talked about communication. And I think for the, whether it's the broader media or some of the headlines that we've seen over, well, I'll call it the last five to 10 years, from time to time, you would see stories around tensions with uh, franchisees. And it, it seems like there's been a lot of work done. You already talked about that. Uh, but we still do sometimes see headlines around that issue. And I, I would imagine that's just the reality sometimes of working with a lot of franchisees within uh, the larger company, but also within Tim's. So maybe maybe a more direct question, Axel, how would you characterize the relationships overall with franchisees right now? Very good. And man, we have two here, so uh, not trying to be nice. Um, but I, I, I think generally I can say uh, that the relationship is very good. And it took a couple of years um, because like in any relationship, we really started this journey four or five years ago with a, with a new team. And just when you, when you look at the world through the eyes of a franchisee four or five years ago, just let's all put on these, these glasses for a moment. Um, results going not in the right direction. The team, I don't really know this team. Um, and so it's difficult to trust, right? It's by, by definition, you don't know the people really um, and the plan is not driving the results that you would like to see. 
And then fast forward, we went ahead, we rolled up the sleeves, worked extremely hard um, together with our owners, uh, listened very carefully. Um, something else I learned, and many of you probably too, we have two ears and one mouth. Uh, we listened a lot to our owners, to our guests. We put plans in place that ultimately drove results. And now, uh, building trust takes time. Delivering consistent results builds trust, and that's what we were able to do. And something, uh, maybe to give you a, a little bit of texture, what we also started doing, because of course we have conventions with our owners, right? We get together once a year, big convention, thousands of people in the room. We do that, we do regional meetings where, you have, where we travel around the country and uh, have hundreds of people in the room. These are all important touch points. But what really is an important touch point is spending time with our owners in the restaurants and having dinners. So, and that's a new format uh, that Matt Moore, Duncan, uh, and the team uh, that, that we introduced, um, call it, what is it now, 18 months ago, roughly. Uh, so we, ha we have 1,500 franchisees. And so we had dinner now, groups of eight, um, and we met 50% of our system so far. So these dinners take four hours. Uh, of course, you have a meal, but you talk about the business. And the beauty about eight people plus two or three uh, from, from uh, the TDL side is you have one conversation. You have one conversation. It's not two people here, two people there. And then uh, usually the first 20 minutes, can I really say what I want? So yes, please share everything that's on your mind. And um, from, let's say, very overarching topics, uh, the macro topics, to my panini press is not working so well, the service is not great. We take so much input on board and then fix stuff, and that drives the business forward. The principles in our industry are very simple. If we were all in a room and my team and I, we would walk you one day through the general principles of our industry, you would all get it, and uh, it's pretty straightforward. You need to have good quality product, good value for money, you need to execute well every single day with a smile, hot and fresh food, da -da -da. So the principles are very simple. To do this, every single day with excellence. That's where the rubber hits the road. And we had to improve our processes, we had to improve our tools, we had to improve um, our routines uh, with franchisees, and that's really what we worked on now for years. And I'm actually um, yeah, proud what we were able to accomplish all together as a Tim's family, because that's really what we are. Um, and um, yeah, the results are, are coming in. D oh, go ahead. And John, if I could just hijack this point for a second, because it's the underlying mentality to everything Axel just described is core to the DNA of both Tim Hortons and RBI, yep. which is ownership. And when you think of this pretty cool company, this global multinational operating in 100 countries around the world with one of your biggest businesses here in Canada, headquartered here in Canada, just a few blocks away from here, you look at who we hire in the company, um, and now it's like an interesting mix of people that we get straight out of university and then grow up in the company and then bring in industry veterans, and we now have that really good mix. The one thing that is like required to succeed in the company is a true mindset of ownership. Like you are not an employee fixing a problem. You're an owner in the company, and core to that is from what I've seen in my entire career, one of the most unique compensation philosophies is at the director level in our company is when you're invited to start participating, 
in a stock ownership plan. And it's the kind of plan where, you know, when you're making in the mid-100s as an employee, in many companies, you would not be invited to participate in ownership in the company until you're an SVP or higher. Here, starting at director level, you're invited to invest half of your take-home bonus into buying company shares. In return, the company grants you three to four times your investment in additional company shares. That if you're then part of the group, doubles the share price over five years, for a relatively small investment, you've got huge ownership in the company. And you do that year after year after year after year, and at a very young age, you develop a pretty substantive personal wealth and ownership in the company. So when it comes back to the things that Axel's talking about, it's not this is a pain in the ass, this is an issue, it's five o'clock, I'm off the clock. You truly believe you've ownership in this company and you have ownership over the solutions and you're gonna be here for the long term. So you wanna make the right long term decision and not do any shortcuts. I mean, I, I, we're rapidly running out of time, but I, just as a quick follow, uh, we've got re record population in the country right now. Obviously, um, there are many new Canadians uh, arriving here each day. There are still some of these issues around affordability uh, that are, uh, you know, a stress to a lot of people. They come here and they and they see that firsthand. And then there's this bigger issue around productivity. How can we be a more productive nation? Too? Do, do you think that your company can be at the center of that story, giving people an opportunity to come here and have that kind of success? I would say yes on two levels. Um, the, the restaurant retail marketplace for employees is extremely competitive. Um, fo folks come and they have the opportunity to work at a Tim Hortons, they can work at another restaurant brand, they can work at Canadian Tire, they can work at an Amazon warehouse. Um, there's, if you look at the restaurant industry, uh, and the, the million plus people that work in it, you look at the retail industry and everyone that works in it, um, there's such competition for labor right now that a high tide is raising all boats and most owners, most retailers, most restaurants are paying well above minimum wage. And for highly skilled workers, immigrants coming to the country, there's so much that we're doing in technology, in, in other areas of the economy, that there's just a huge opportunity to participate in this great Canadian growth story. I, uh, I think we're almost out of time, but I'm just gonna throw, just with Canada, because there was a really good question that came in, and, and we ask a lot of people in construction what's going on with higher interest rates right now, and something that I've heard frequently is, well, it's, the, we, we kind of hit the brakes because the math is not working to get some of those new developments going right now. So at a time when there is a concern about supply, it sounds like one question uh, was, was specifically about construction-related costs and the challenges of this current environment and what that perhaps means as well. Um, can, you, can you field a, a real estate question as we wrap things up here and, and what people should be thinking about or what your message is? Yeah, of course. So um, same here. So what is the biggest investment that our franchisees do, what we do as a, as a company? It's building restaurants and renovating restaurants. Um, so this is really where the majority of the investment goes. And so this is why this is extremely critical to um, be mindful where do the dollars go, so where do we invest? 
And I learned something from uh, Brian Nowiski, our head of design. He is also here in the room. Um, it's all about choices. It's all about choices. So, um, and I give you just a practical example. We pretty much still spend the same amount of money for renovating a restaurant um, that we spent uh, prior to the pandemic. But we spend it very differently today. Um, while we put most of our dollars in the front of the house back in the days, now it goes in the front of the house, it goes in the back of the house, it goes in the service area, and it goes into the drive-through. What is the um, attractiveness here? So A, the absolute amount of money that we spend is fairly similar, and B, it drives higher returns because you actually drive efficiencies in the restaurant um, so that uh, our teammates in the restaurants um, don't, for example, just practically speaking, you might have seen this, don't bump into each other in the back of the house because we reorganize the equipment, the flow is much smoother. And so uh, two things happened over the last couple of years. The absolute amount of money is fairly the same and um, there is a bigger return, which uh, makes it quite attractive. Okay, uh, a lot of great stuff that 40 minutes flew by. I wanna thank everybody for all the great questions. I've never been able to have so many questions from the audience within a and I think that's because everyone's very engaged and very interested and thank you both Duncan and Axel and thank you everyone for your time today. Really appreciate it. So thank, you thank you very much. Thanks everyone. Thank you very much. Hey. Thank you very much, John Ehrlichman, for leading this discussion, Axel Schwann and Duncan Fulton for sharing your insights with us today. As a club of record, all Empire Club of Canada events are available to watch and listen to on demand on our website. The recording of this event will be available shortly, and everyone registered will receive an email with the link. On uh, Wednesday, November 8th, join us virtually um, in honoring Indigenous veterans as we pay tribute to their contributions in Canada's military history. This event will feature two distinguished speakers who will shed light on the remarkable journeys of Indigenous veterans. On Thursday, November 23rd, join us in person to celebrate the Empire Club's 120th anniversary. The event is a tribute to the club's history, which began in 1903. The club's commitment to recording and sharing speeches has been an invaluable contribution to public education. You'll hear some of the magical moments and the thousands of speeches delivered at the club over the past 12 decades and uh, iconic stories behind these moments. On Thursday, November 30th, join us in person to hear from the Federal Labor Minister, uh, the Honorable Seamus O'Regan Jr. for an economic update on the state of labor relations in Canada and how business, labor, and government can work together to address structural changes in the labor market and grow the economy amidst inflation, energy transition, automation, and other challenges. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to stay and uh, connect with one another for continued networking. Have a great afternoon. This meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>